See. Uh, couple weeks away, good to be back with you after a time to celebrate uh, 35 years of marriage to my wife. It was 15 months late, so we've been married for 36, but... Uh, <clears throat> And if you're wondering about the young guy, Ryan Toller, who showed a video of me in a diaper that, uh, for a very specific reason, for the sake of my daughter and a gender reveal party. But uh, if you're wondering, whatever happened to him? Uh, <clears throat> that story is not finished. You will not want to miss next week, let's just say that. So why don't you uh, turn with me to Nehemiah chapter 6. Never pick on the guy with the microphone. Nehemiah chapter 6. We're going to, uh, since we've been out for two weeks, uh, quick recap. Nehemiah chapter 6 tells us uh, this important transition in this book. So the wall was completed on the 25th of the month of Elul in 52 days. All right, so uh, if you're wondering if you're new, we have this pile of rubble here. Because Nehemiah was a Jewish man living a thousand miles away from Jerusalem. He heard that the walls were broken and the gates had been burned, that the people were in great distress because of that. And God put it in his heart to become a man who would restore the broken and the burn. And this pile here and the pile over north, it represents how you, as the people of God, have said, you want to restore the broken and the burned in our day. And so he, uh, by the provision of God, was able to make the trip back, God providing the supplies and the people, and in 52 days, they take, they've taken the broken and the burned, and it's restored. And you would think, well, that was the point of the book, it would end, but it doesn't end here. Because after he gives himself to the physical work, now he is going to give himself to the relational work of healing, if you will, this broken and burned people. And so that is why we are saying that even though we're halfway through the book, there are some new beginnings because the wall is fixed, but now the people need to be fixed. And that's what the rest of the book deals with. And so we saw uh, three weeks ago a couple of new things that he did with this new beginnings. We're going to look at two more this morning. Uh, First of all, though, we saw three weeks ago that he had installed new leadership. And what was unique about that new leadership is the expression it said in chapter 7 that they feared God more than most. You may ask yourself, do you fear the Lord? And if so, more than most. And he instituted new protective practices. Though the walls had been restored, the gates had been fixed. They said, we're still vulnerable. And so we're not going to open those gates until the sun is hot. And we're going to close them while there's still a guard. Because even though the walls were restored, they were still at risk. So they established some new protective practices. That's area that we've covered. Here's two more this morning for new beginnings. He initiated a numerical enrollment by families. Now, we haven't talked about this. He initiates, now that they're beginning again as a people, he initiates a numerical enrollment by families. In other words, he counts the people and he counts them by family. 
And we're not going to look at all the names. It comes to about 42,000. So aren't you glad we're not going to look at all the names? Now, they're not all listed in the text, but many of them are by families. The bigger question is this. Why? Why in a new beginning did he determine we should number the people? Why should we determine a numerical enrollment by families? Well, the text tells us why. It said in chapter 7, verse 5, Then my God put it into my heart to assemble the nobles, the officials, and the people to be enrolled by genealogies. So he does it because the Lord prompts him to do so. Uh, Earlier in Israel history, David had taken a census and had been condemned for doing so. And he had done it for his purposes. Nehemiah is not condemned. Actually, God puts it into his heart, which makes me go, why? I know that he did it because God put it into his heart, but why would God put it into Nehemiah's heart in light of the context of where the people are in this new beginning? Why? And I think it's this simple principle. Nehemiah, as the leader, has to understand, if I'm going to lead a people, I have to know who they are. I have to know who they are. We need to figure out, if we are the people of God back in Jerusalem, who are we and, and how many? Now, I say that I think that's the spiritual principle because here's that same principle, I believe, uh, demonstrated in uh, the letter to the Hebrews. It says there, regarding the local church, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Now, what's this, is talk, what's this talking about? The way the New Testament decide, d- defines the church is this. The church has one leader. His name is Jesus. He is the chief shepherd. And under the chief shepherd, the New Testament says that a local church should be led by under shepherds, elders, leaders. And it is elders, under shepherds to the chief shepherd who function in plurality, not just one man, but a group of godly men who meet the qualifications of 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1, who under the chief shepherd are responsible for a flock, if you will. And it says that they are responsible to keep watch over their souls and they're going to give an account for it. Now, why am I telling you all that? For this simple reason. One of the things that we do continue to do here at the chapel that is increasingly out of style in the local church is have membership. We, we practice membership at the church for this very simple reason. How can the elders, the under shepherds to the chief shepherd, give an account 
for the souls if they don't know which souls they're accountable for. There is in our present day, and I'm not picking on other folks, I'm simply saying what we do. We do this while others don't because we have a strong sense. We're accountable for the souls of those who call this place their church. So understand there is a local church and then there is a global church. The global church is for all those who have placed faith in Jesus Christ who are part of the family of God. But within the global church, there are countless local churches, and each of those local churches are intended to have leaders who will keep watch over the souls of those in that local church and give an account. So that is simply why we do membership. Sometimes we get pushback. Hey, churches don't do membership. Why do you do membership? Because how else will we know who we are accountable for? It is, just historically speaking, a reaction. The, the move away from membership is a reaction to this mentality for years of, well, <clears throat> the way I become part of the family, is God, family of God is I become a member of a church. And so I hope you've heard clearly. Membership in the church does not make you a member of the family of God. That is only through faith in Jesus Christ. Those who are part of the family of God are intended to be part then of a local church. So there's always a journey. There's a a time where folks visit. This has been your journey. You visited CFC. And then you went, I think I think I want to go back. And then I think I want to go back again. Some of you are in that process right now. That's why we have a guest luncheon to go. We're not intended to simply stay on, on the fringe. But there's a moving from I'm a guest to I'm a regular attender to I'm a, I'm a member. Uh, in other words, this is the local family of God that I will be accountable to. So it's been kind of a fun weekend. We'll, we'll have over 100 at the guest reception today. And Friday night, we had a gathering for all those who are in our new members class with their elders, the under shepherds to the chief shepherd. I want to encourage you, some of you, is it time for you to take a a next step. This has become your local church, but you have not declared membership here, taken membership here to define yourself as accountable here. If you're wondering, do you get like a kickback for members? Uh, No, no. It's not that I am looking for something from you. It's this, that I am looking for something for you. It's easy to say, I don't need to become a member. I don't need to be accountable. Nobody thinks they need to be accountable until they don't want to be. 
Do you follow that? You don't think you need accountability until you don't want to be accountable. That's when you need it most. So let me encourage you. If you're thinking, I don't need to be accountable, do yourself a favor when you want to be accountable so that you will be protected and guarded when there may be that time in your journey where you don't want to be accountable. So let me encourage you. We have a new members class going on. Now there's another one coming up October 23rd. It's a time for you to learn about what it is to be a part of this body, what it means to be shepherded as a part of this body, what we would be committing to you, what you're committing to, what's the accountability. But I wanted you to see it from the text. That this is exactly what Nehemiah did. He didn't say, oh, if you get a part of the count, then you're part of the body. He said, I want to know who, part, who the body is in Jerusalem. So let me encourage you, if this has become your local family, your local church, but you haven't taken that step, that you do so. All right. Now, for the next, the second new beginning. Go to the last sentence in chapter 7. And it's important that we don't start in chapter 8 because, well, you'll see why in a moment. The last sentence in chapter 7 says this. And when the seventh month came, the sons of Israel were in their cities. So not everybody is living in Jerusalem. That's going to come up later in the text. Some of them are outside of the city of Jerusalem. But notice how chapter 8 begins. And all the people gathered as one man at the square which was in front of the water gate. So they had scattered, but now they are gathered at a particular time and place for what? Let's continue. And they ask Ezra, the scribe, to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had given to Israel. Then Ezra, the priest, brought the law before the assembly of men, women, and all who could listen with understanding on the first day of the seventh month. He read from it before the square, which was in front of the water gate, from early morning until midday in the presence of men and women, those who could understand. And all the people were attentive. I just wanted to see. You know, every once in a while, I have that joyful moment of up here, and I see this. And I know you hate it because then you look up and you're like, ah, oh, did he see me? Yes, I saw you. <laughs> if you ever wondered, yes, I've seen you. But I've been there, so it's no problem. They, they were attentive. And it was all morning. None of this 40-minute sermon stuff. All morning he stood up and read. And they were attentive to the book of the law. So he not only institutes this enrollment, membership, as we call it, he introduced with this new beginning the reading of God's word and the simplicity as you write that down I don't want you to miss if we're going to restore the broken and the burnt God forbid that we would not introduce them to the reading of God's word Regardless of what the brokenness is, 
or what the burn is. All people need that which the word of God brings to them. And so with the new beginning of this relational work, new leadership, new protective practices, a new identifying of who's in, and uh, the introducing of the written word of God. And by introducing that, he demonstrates to do that, to introduce the reading of God's word, three things need to happen. You need to have a time. There needs to be a place. And you have to have a passage. (laughs) What am I going to read? If the word of God is going to be introduced in someone else's life, or if it's going to be introduced in your life, it comes down to some practical questions. When am I going to do it? Where am I going to read? And what am I going to read? And plenty of times people have thought, I want to read, and I know when I'd read, I just don't know what to read. Maybe you've been there. I've been there at times going, what do I really want to read? So I want to have a a suggestion for us. And if you are already in a very particular, maybe you're reading through the Bible in a year, I'm not asking you to bail on that unless you, you want to. But if you're kind of scattered or just sporadic, as I was praying through this text and asking, Lord, what would this mean for CFC here and now for the reading of the word of God to be introduced into our lives on a consistent basis to give attention to it? It occurred to me that as we finish the end of September, we have three months left. And what if we committed ourselves to read through the New Testament in the next 90 days? Now, maybe you've never done that. You think, oh, my word, I could never do that. You can Google everything. Do you know how long it will take you per day to read through the New Testament in 90 days? You can check on Google if you want to. 12 minutes is what they say. That's amazing to me. Because I know you're busy, but you got 12 minutes. 12 minutes a day, 90 days, you could do something many of you have never done, actually read through your entire New Testament. It's basically three chapters a day. So I don't know if you noticed on the backside of your message memo, if you don't usually pick up a message memo, you might want to grab one on your way out this morning. Uh, On the backside is simply the New Testament in 90 days. I designed it differently than just starting in Matthew and ending in Revelation and going through. That's the way it starts, but what I did was simply this. I took the Gospels and spread them throughout the reading, so you're not reading all four Gospels and then a bunch of letters after that. So I gave you the Gospels, then some letters, Uh, I gave you gospel acts, then some letters, then back to a gospel, then some more letters, then back to a gospel. And then we closed it with the gospel of John, the letters of John, and the revelation of John. So this is not inspired. You could do it in different ways. But there there was some thoughtful strategy in how I laid this out for us for 90 days. Here's the beauty of how easy this can be if you would make the commitment. I, I was really grateful. We've been able to put this. Some of you are hard copy people. This is, you're going to fold it in your Bible and you're going to put it there and you're going to check your box or put your initials. Yes, because you love to check boxes. 
But others, you're like, I read my Bible on my phone or I read my Bible on my iPad. So we put on our homepage, cfcjacks.com, we put on the homepage, New Testament in 90 days, and this is right there, and you can click on the day, and it'll take you to the version Bible app, and it'll give it to you New American Standard, which is what we study out of. It'll take you to that chapter, and you can read the chapters, or you can press play and listen to somebody else read it to you. Now you're all, but you're thinking, that's exactly what I'm going to (laughs) do. Yeah, it's it's really, really awesome. So I introduced it Thursday night, and I thought, uh, Friday, I read only. Saturday, I read and listened as the guy read through. So both hearing and reading at the same time. And this morning... I wanted to try, and I listened from my home to the church before I got here, and I got uh, Matthew 7, 8, and 9 in between my house and here. And it was, and you didn't, I didn't have to play at speed and a half, which is the way I listen to most books, speed and a half. I was like, it started that way. I was like, wow, I cannot tell. Now, I realized we go so slow on Sunday mornings in the scriptures, don't we? It's like three verses at a time, like, Three chapters is a lot to take in. I found myself going, whoa, overload, 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 because I don't usually read three chapters in 12 minutes. But I'm finding, wow, you hear things, you're impacted by things, by some bigger chunks that you are not in little chunks. So I've taken a lot of minutes to encourage this. Nothing replaces the reading of the word of God. Nothing wrong with that devotional book that you use. Nothing replaces the reading of the word of God or the listening to the word of God in your life. And I, I just wonder, what would God do in our hearts if we said as a church, let's in the next 90 days just give ourselves. Oh, and by the way, you got 10 whoops days in the midst of that. Well, maybe it's seven now that it's Sunday, not Thursday. Should have come Thursday, then you'd have three more cut days available to you. <laughs> There'll just be an opportunity. So, it, again, if it says at the top, if you miss one, don't sweat it. Just keep going. And I think you'll be super encouraged. And I think God will do a work in us as he did in them if we'll give ourselves to the attention of reading the Word. So, it, it all starts, I really do, it, it always starts with the passage. What am I going to read? So, there's a, there's a great way for you to start. What about a time? Well, I think this testimony will encourage is you consider, when will I do my reading of God's word? Hey guys, I'm Molly Zerza. I'm a junior here at CFC. So I started reading this book about how small habits can have a great impact on your life. And I was thinking of some habits that I could create in my life and some habits that I didn't like in my life. So one habit that I wanted to create was regularly reading my Bible, like on a daily basis. And I did notice that every morning I go straight to my phone and that's not a good habit. I did not like that I had that in my life and I wanted to change that. So one thing the book said was making the habit easily accessible. 
So I was thinking, how can I make my Bible easily accessible to me? And it just kind of like popped in my brain, like, oh, I can open my Bible app the night before, and as soon as I open my phone in the morning, it'll be right there for me. The passage, like, ready, I'm good to go. So every night, that's what I've been doing. I've been opening my Bible to the passage that I want to read the next day, and I'll read it. And I won't let myself go on any other apps, no checking my messages or checking my Instagram, none of it, until I've read the Bible. And it's been so great. Um, it's changed a lot of the stuff in my life. It's encouraged me to be Jesus to people. And so one day I decided, hey, I'm gonna be Jesus to these people that I see today. So I walked into my dance class and I made it my goal to show people God's love. So whether it be to the people that I talk to on a daily basis or the people that I don't talk to at all, it's yielded some great results. I was able to invite some people to church and one of them actually came to youth group here and it was great, she loved it. She said she wanted to come back. And I've had some really great spiritual conversations as well, whether it be with people who are Christians who are saying they've placed their faith in God, or it's people who are not as close to God or don't really know anything at all. It's been great to see the Lord work and just the flip in my perspective has been crazy. So I strongly encourage all of you, if you aren't reading the scriptures daily, it's incredible. It will change your life, really. It will give you a new perspective and you'll ultimately become more like Christ. That certainly encouraged me. Uh, teenagers get such a bad rap in our world, and God is at work in our teenagers here. That's one of the girls you prayed for when we prayed for uh, Breakaway a couple weeks ago. So just a little change, a little tweak to what your schedule looks like might make all the difference. So you might steal her idea and load it the night before and refuse to look at, read anything else until you read the scriptures. That will change your life. All right, so they give attention to the reading of the word of God, but it doesn't stop there. Join me in verse four now of chapter eight, and we'll see after they gave attention what else they did to the reading of the scriptures. Ezra the scribe stood at a wooden podium, which they had made for the purpose, and beside him stood, and they're going to get a list of names, but I want you to see the picture. So they stood beside him, man number one, two, three, four, five, six, on his right hand, and one, two, three, four, five, six, seven on his left hand. So he's standing on a podium like you think here, and one side, six guys, one side, seven guys, 14 guys standing as he reads the scriptures. Now, you got to be asking yourself, what are they there for? Do you know? Yeah, it doesn't say. I don't know either. We don't know. I don't know if he was lonely and he just wanted his buddies to be with him on the stage. I don't think that's true. But it doesn't say why 13 guys stood with him on the stage. But it does say what happened and what else some other guys were doing as he read. Uh, Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was standing above all the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. Then Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered... Amen, amen, while lifting up their hands, then they bowed low and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. And 
One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen Levites explained the law to the people while the people remained in their place. This is, now you get the picture? They read from the book, from the law of God, translating to give the sense so they understood the reading. See, I I love this. I don't know what the other 13 guys are doing on the stage with Nehemiah, but there's 13 more men, Levites, who are among the crowd. And as Ezra is reading, they are explaining. This is why it took so long. They were taking time. Ezra obviously would have stopped reading, and then they explained to the people what... He had read so that they would, what was the word? They would understand. It is so vital that we not only give attention to the reading of the word, but that we give effort to understanding God's word. Because folks, nothing kills our reading of the scripture more than reading and not understanding. See, if I read and I never understand, what do I do? I stop reading. Uh, many of you would relate to me in this experience. You ever tried to read Shakespeare? Yeah, and then uh, for, for me, I was like, okay, I'm done. I have no idea what's going on. That is so confusing. That's terrible. Now, some of you are like, oh, you're so elementary. And I go, yes, I agree. I am so elementary. I did not get any of that. I could not appreciate it. So if I can't understand something, then I can't connect to it, then I'm going to stop doing it. That's true for Shakespeare, that's true for your Bible. If you can't understand it, you're gonna stop reading it. That's why so many individual believers who will come to church on a weekly basis to hear the word of God explained don't read the Bible throughout the week because they're like, I experienced something on Sunday that I don't experience Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, so I just don't read. And I think Ezra and Nehemiah are brilliant. They go... If we're going to read it, there's no point unless they understand it. So our elders have agreed they're ever going to, they're going to come to each of your houses. And now, <laughs> I mean, how, how do we do it? We don't need to do that. We have unbelievable gifts as the people of God. First and foremost, for who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, the thoughts of God, no one knows except the spirit of God. Now we have received, not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God so that we may know the things freely given to us by God. He gave us the scriptures. He has revealed himself to us and he has given us his spirit so that the spirit of God that understands the mind of God would help you and I understand the wisdom of God. So when you give your attention to the reading of the word, depend upon the Holy Spirit. Ask him before you read, before you hit play, before you listen, ask the Holy Spirit to be your teacher.
It's literally one of his defined roles in the scriptures to be your teacher, to teach you, to take the thoughts of God, which you cannot understand apart from him and to make it understandable. He is better than any elder who could visit your home. And quite frankly, he's better, he's better than any pastor who could stand on a stage because I hope the things that you would hear from me through the Spirit would be good for you. But the things that the Spirit would speak to you specifically from the Scriptures, they will always be most precious to you. And, and, and you're missing if you're not reading. So ask, ask the Spirit to teach you. And then when you're done reading, ask the Holy Spirit, what were you saying to me? What is it that you want me to take from this scripture? So depend upon the Holy Spirit and then don't be afraid to utilize simple study tools. We have such gifts in our world of technology, just what I described to you, that you can click a link and have somebody read the scriptures to you. <laughs> Think about that back in those times. Ezra, what? You could like push a button and somebody would just read it for him? Personally? Wow. So utilize study tools. And by that, here are the two ones that I use most often. Biblehub.com. Just go Biblehub.com and you can put in any passage and it'll give you the passage in whatever translation right beside each other that you'd like to read because I like to read them in different translations and click on any verse on any word and it will give you explanation and understanding even to the depth of original language, which I wouldn't expect you to do, but sometimes that helps. But you can simply go there and it will give explanation to every single verse in the Bible. And then this gotquestions.org, I've referenced this many, many times. This is one of my favorite websites because they have thousands and thousands of questions that have been answered. And in, I've not read them all, but I've read hundreds of them. And in hundreds of them, for what it's worth, I've only found one answer that I went, mm, I don't really like that answer. Every other of the hundreds that I've read are spot on to an evangelical understanding of the scriptures. Even if you go and you go to their home site and they'll say top 20 questions asked, I, I, I guarantee you, you'll get sucked in. You're like, oh yeah, I've actually, wow, that's a great question. I wonder what they say, but oh, oh. And you're gonna be there for 30 minutes going, these are awesome, promise. So it's not so much a verse, but you read something and you're like, I don't understand this question or this past. They just type a question in and lots of answers available. Super, super helpful. Not as a replacement of reading your Bible or listening to the Holy Spirit. But these are individuals who have listened to the Holy Spirit and given biblical answers to many of life's questions. So, they read and they give attention to understanding. Watch. Then Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, this day is holy to the Lord your God. 
do not mourn or weep for all the people were weeping when they heard the words of the law. So they stood up, they had bowed down, they are hearing the scriptures, it's being translated, and as they are hearing, they are, they're, they're weeping. Now we're gonna talk about that in a moment. Specifically, they're weeping, but it's reflective of a core principle of what God intends to happen with his word. Watch, is that we would be attentive to reading it, effort to understanding it in order that we would respond to it. They read it, they understood it, and then they give themselves to responding to it. Not all scripture causes us to weep. Some scripture causes us to shout. Some scripture causes us to give praise. But they are responding to God's word. At core, <coughs> at core, you know what the response that God intends to be from the teaching, the reading, the understanding of his word? Watch. But the goal of our instruction is love. Love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. But it's simply saying this. Can I have your eyes? The goal of you hearing and understanding the word of God is that you would love God and love others more. That's the goal. It's not knowledge. Because the scripture says knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. So I, I think some of you are going to do the 90-day, the New Testament 90-day challenge. But it's not to check a box. It's to listen with this ear. Why, having what I just heard, why would I love God more? Who is he that would cause me to love him more? Or how would I love him more? Or why would I love my neighbor more? Why would I love my family more? Or how would I love my Co-workers, it's simply the question, the, the filter, if you will, that I want to listen through is, how is this producing love? How is this leading me, equipping me to love? Knowledge is not the goal. Love, love of God, love of others. From, what did it say? A pure heart. Not for selfish heart, from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. This is why I believe if we'll give ourselves to hearing the word and understanding the word and responding to the word, in the next 90 days there'll be a great work that doesn't happen because of what's happening in this room. It's a great work of God among us that will impact our community and our families and our workplaces and our neighborhoods. It'll impact them because not what's happening here, but what's happening daily in your life is your hearing and understanding 
and responding in love for God and love for others. May that be what the Lord does in us as we're scattered. And then to gather, to come together, and to worship, and to learn together. What a magnificent combination. The beauty of hearing, understanding, and responding is this. One who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it. In other words, responds to it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer. This man will be blessed in what he does. That's the promise of Scripture. And I love this verse simply because it shows the full process. Looks intently. So not only just reads, but understands and then doesn't just hear and then go about their day, but in his effectual doer, loves God, loves others in light of what they've heard, that man will be blessed. See, the this, this cycle of that I want us to understand about the word of God is that when we will read, and if we will read to understand, and if we will respond to what we understand, now you see that progress, the process. If we don't read, the cycle never starts. But if we read without understanding, it just gets derailed. The train may leave the station, but it gets derailed very quickly. So I read, and I seek understanding, and when I understand, I respond. And when I respond, what did the, what did the scripture just say? There's blessing. And when I see and experience the blessing of God, what happens? Why is it a cycle, not just linear? Because it makes me hungry and thirsty to eat more, to drink more of the word of God. But every component is essential. Every component. I hope you captured that verse from James. Every component. Read, understand. Respond, blessing, read, understand, respond, blessing. All right, so now let's ask, ask this final question. They're reading, they're understanding, and they're responding. They're weeping. And I imagine they're weeping because they are recognizing we have not been living according to the law of God. Uh, the way we describe it here. They're weeping because they recognize they were called to live here, but they've been here. But this weirdest thing happens. I tend to think, oh, wow, way to go. They're responding to the word. But the leadership shows up and says, what? Did you notice? Stop. Stop weeping. That's the way verse 9, it said, stop weeping. And it says then in verse 10, they said, go, don't weep, go eat of the fat, drink of the sweet. It's like the initiation of a good barbecue. 
eat, isn't that right? Eat of the fat, drink of the sweet tea, eat of the fat, drink of the sweet, and send portions to him who has nothing prepared. Uber Eats. For this day is holy to our Lord. Don't be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And I gotta admit, I read the text months ago and I'm like, I'm confused. It seems like their response ought to be to weep. Why are they saying, don't weep? (laughs) And I realized the more I study it's because, no offense here, but I'm just a stupid Gentile. That's why I didn't understand. It had said multiple times in the text, it was the, which month? Seventh month? Which day? First day? And it said that multiple times. I was like, yep, yeah, okay. I don't even know what that means, okay? What, what happened? But now, now you get it. It's the seven-month first day. You're like, yeah, I still don't get it. Uh, I read it, okay, seven-month first day. I wrote it down multiple times. This must be a point. What's the point? That is Rosh Hashanah. In other words, in the Jewish calendar, this is Happy New Year. And it's not Happy New Year, celebrate our country or celebrate us. This is the people of God saying Happy New Year. This is a, what did he say? A holy day, a day to celebrate your God. You see, the people had no idea that it wasn't just a random day that God had, that Ezra and Nehemiah had said, hey, let's institute the, introduce the reading of the scripture today. They had picked the beginning of the new year, which according to the Old Testament, the first day of the seventh month is a day where nobody works. They read the scripture publicly and then they have an afternoon feast. But they didn't know that because they had never read. They had been ignorant to the scripture. And so they're responding and weeping, and they're going, no, 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 no. There is a time for weeping, but that time is not now. There's something greater right now, and that is the joy of the Lord is your strength, which makes a great song. But what in the world does that mean? What's it mean that the, think about that. The joy of the Lord is your strength. I, I've thought lots about and have sought to say, my joy is in the Lord, but that's not what this is. It's not my joy in the Lord, it is the joy, the joy of the Lord. Uh, crazy question. Is God joyful? Yeah, you see, I was like, well, I guess. Is God love? And the fruit of the Spirit is love. Is God patient? And the fruit of the Spirit is patient. Is God kind? And the fruit of the Spirit is kindness. And the fruit of the Spirit is, if you go to Galatians 5, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. So... Joy, I made a new connection I never made in my heart. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit because He is joy. 
He is joy. Not, not, not he gives joy, yes, but he, he is joy. And it is his joy that is your strength. Uh, part of his joy, uh, one of the minor prophets during this time, Zephaniah, says, the Lord your God is in your midst, a victorious warrior. Warrior, He will exalt over you with joy. He will be quiet in his love. He re- will rejoice over you with shouts of joy. Think about that. God rejoicing over you, not us, you. God shouting for joy because he is joy over you. And that that joy, his joy, being your strength. Uh, the band's going to come up, and uh, as they prepare to lead us, I'm going to ask uh, one of the folks who will lead us, Abby Fielder, to share a story. She was here Thursday night, heard everything that I just said to you about the joy of the Lord, but I get this, went, I'm not sure I still get it. So the Lord her helped her, and... I asked her, she sent me an email Saturday, Friday, Saturday, sometime. And uh, so sweet, a gift of the Lord, a, a reflection of the goodness of God. Uh, I want you to hear the joy of the Lord in her story. And then we're going to worship him. I had been listening to the band songs this week in preparation for Thursday night service. I saw that we were starting and ending the service with joy of the Lord. So I assumed that you'd be teaching on this topic. I listened on Thursday night as you spoke about joy being a fruit of the Spirit, just like peace or love, and that that same joy being our source of strength. But I was struggling to understand how God's joy translates to my strength when I'm in the midst of suffering or grief. I was asking God, what does this look like for me and how exactly does it work? Please help me. As some of you know, my sweet dad passed away unexpectedly last November. Um, And for several years when my um, daughter Charlotte was little, my dad would meet me in the Walmart parking lot on Collins Road. He would take her to his house while I attended a ladies Bible study on that side of town. We spent a lot of time in that parking lot catching up and sipping coffee. Yesterday, I was running errands off my usual beaten path, and I found myself passing that parking lot for the first time since losing my dad. And grief hit me like a tsunami. I pulled over and just sat weeping in my car. I don't know about your car, but my Bluetooth only connects to my phone when it feels so inclined. I can be in the car for hours and it will just all of a sudden click on and start playing something random. 
Yesterday, as I sat alone in my parked car, all of a sudden I heard these words click on. Though my tears may fall, my song will rise, my song will rise to you. Though my heart may fail, my song will rise, my song will rise to you. While there's breath in my lungs, I will praise you, Lord. When I cannot see you with my eyes, when I cannot feel your hand in mine, God of mercy and love, I will praise you. There is strength when I say, I will praise you, Lord. When sorrow comes my way, you're the shield around me. Always you remain, my courage in the fight. I hear you call my name. Jesus, I'm coming. I'm walking on the waves. I'm reaching for your light. After being in and out of the car all day, in that, mo- in that moment, my Bluetooth had all of the sudden decided to connect, and it just so happened to be playing that song. God is teaching me a new thing. I don't fully understand it, but I sat in my car in that parking lot and decided to praise God with a face full of tears, not because I felt godly or worshipful, but because I trust his character and I believe his word. He is putting hope and strength in the same heart that is still heavy with grief and loss because they can't exist together. His joy is my strength, not my feelings, not my circumstances, but his joy. God is so kind to reveal holy truths to his simple and doubting children. Thank you, Abby. Hey, let's stand together and let's declare this. Though the tears may fall, my song will rise, my song will rise to you. Though my heart may fail, my song will rise, my song will rise to you. While there's breath in my lungs, I will praise you.
spirit here today. We go as we go now, the rest of the today and this this week. Remember, we, God of the universe, who is love, who is patience, who is kindness, who is joy, who is self-control, who is gentleness, lives in us. So as we go, his joy, his kindness, his peace can live through us. So let's aim to do that as we encounter anyone who God has and we encounter any circumstances that he has for us. Okay, go and be blessed. Thanks for being here. Thank you.